Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi and welcome to today's podcast. We have two wonderful guests today. We have Laura Whalen, who is a doll maker and who works with the Babogue Project, which was started in November 2018. Laura has been a doll maker for 10 years and just recently she started creating healing dolls for women and children affected by the mother and baby homes in Ireland. We also have Lewis Barfoot, who is an incredible healer uh, and conjurer of the feminine energies. She is also a wordsmith and an incredible folk singer. Good morning, ladies. Um, mm-hmm. How are you both doing? How has COVID been for you? Hi, good morning, Linda. Uh, yeah, I, you know, this is Lewis here. And um, I think COVID's been yeah, I feel very well versed in the art of working solo, working from home. And um, so on some levels, it's been a part of the normal routine of being a creative being. And uh, the stillness and the surrender has been a deep blessing. I've been very lucky as well to be both um, at the first lockdown in West Cork by the sea <laughs> and blessed blessed to go on my daily walk watching the hedgerows grow and develop in spring and yeah. swim in the sea and now I'm in East Cork by the woods and um, you know I, I can't imagine what it must be like for people who are living in the cities and who are living in flats without yeah. a natural space so on one level I'm deeply blessed and it's been a surrender into sort of the of the burgeoning stillness of 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 of, of my life um but I think I, I'm really pining for the the community of live music, the community of doing my work in workshops, which, you know, really nourishes my highest self. It's like, you know, I get to play and help people at the same time. It's a dream. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm yearning for that that interconnection with others um, and that intimacy that happens through how I live my life and that I really miss um, really miss yeah and what about yourself Laura um for me the the year before I was at lockdown I was just beginning to emerge so I'm a mother of five and so my my home life is really busy and um, so I was just beginning to emerge from doing a little bit more than than just mothering at home um I had trained as a celebrant so I was beginning to do celebrancy work and I was starting to hold more spaces for uh, women's spaces um and also I was starting to work on the Babogue project so my life was getting really really busy um and then when when the lockdown happened it brought me right back home again um and I actually had a really lovely time um with the kids at home and we developed really lovely routines of going down to the beach every day and going out for walks every day and nourishing ourselves with good food and reading together and so I really just stripped back everything else aside from my home and my family life um and I really enjoyed that and we we all did, actually. We all really needed that break and that sense of reconnecting with ourselves and with each other within the home. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, but all the while I've also was still working on the Babog project, which I'm sure, you know, we can talk about a little bit more. But um, it's a project that, although it's like an, a huge community, a huge communal effort, everyone works um, by creating um, dolls on their own, in their own way. So mm-hmm. I, I think it, for the project itself, it was amazing because it gave people a lot of time to, to sit down and create. So we had enormous contributions um, to the project during that time. There were two ladies, for example, in Wexford who were in their 70s and 80s who made, who knitted a thousand dolls. For <laughs> a thousand? That's just what they did. Wow. Um, yeah, because they couldn't, you know, they were cocooning and, and one of the ladies had had recently lost her husband yeah. about five weeks into lockdown and so her friend went up the road and and showed her how to make the dolls and and that's what they did wow, um, so yeah a thousand yeah that's incredible I mean I I've, I've had so many guests on the podcast on on uh, this season I'm so delighted to have you both but a reoccurring thing is that you know, uh, with Aoife Ahern, who is a, a tour manager, she's literally been on the road since she was about seventeen, and she just came off doing a tour with Michelle Obama, her book tour and a Madonna tour, and she was back to back. She was just about to do a full tour with a band, Tame Impala. She was over in Los Angeles, and everything got cancelled. She had to, she had to get a crew of eighty people back to all their respective countries and homes, and then she just found herself in her dad's in Cork, and just like pause her whole life, hmm. just pause. And it was just, she was just saying, you know, that was the first time literally since she was a, an adolescent that she paused and, and stood still and she ended up walking the dog every day and she ended up losing three stone. Not that she had it to lose, because seriously, I mean, but it was just, <laughs> just, she was just saying that how it was, it's such a difficult time for so many people around the world, but that sense of reconnection and with nature. And, you know, the first lockdown, I was lucky enough to be, um, I'd gone home to my sister, uh, my sisters, because it was my niece's 18th. And then literally that was on March the 13th. And the country went on lockdown from the 14th. So I was actually stuck in Ireland. And when I say stuck, I, I don't mean it as a negative because it was a great place to be. But um, yeah, and it was great. And I had like just in the east, like just next to Wicklow and, and, you know, the mountains. And it was wonderful. And then the second lockdown, I'd come back home to London. And then just like, you know, in East London, in a, a sixth floor in an apartment, lovely mm-hmm. apartment. But I'm kind of looking out at, you know, a, a lot of the, the city that just cannot move. And that whole hustle and bustle aspect of the community and stuff is just not here at the moment. So it's been quite a solitude and all kind of experience this time around. Uh, yeah. So definitely I'm missing the... Um, the nature aspect and I know Liz that you you grew up next to Epping Forest and um I, <laughs> yeah. I I made it as far as Epping just before the tier the latest tier system where you couldn't really travel and um I was so shocked to see that the forest had become victim to this strange virus and most of the vegetation in the forest area is actually dying um and it was it's due to climate change so I, that was really upsetting to kind of see that and to just see what we're doing to the planet, which we can go into a little bit more. Um, but yeah, so that kind of extenuated the, you know, the whole kind of oh, missing nature. And then when you go to seek it, it's, it's about to be destroyed by the stuff that we're doing as, as human beings, like in the planet. And, you know, so mm-hmm. I kind of went into another area of, oh, what are we doing? Like, what am I doing? What's my carbon footprint? And, and self kind of, um, you know, self introspection and just kind of going, right, what's my place in the world? Like, what am I doing with my time? How am I spending my time? How is it contributing to? the overall energy of Gaia, of Mother Nature. But so, I mean, like, Lewis, you you are very 
in tune with your feminine self and a lot of the work that you do is about you know seeking that healing um energy within via your own intuition like using that intuition as a foundation to birth work and practice with archetypes and for listeners kind of tuned in can you delve a little bit more into that aspect and then we'll go into the uh, babo project because they just fit so harmoniously together you know um like how did that come about and how how is that work shaped well you know i i think you know you mentioned that i grew up in in epping forest and i feel like it was shaped by the very nature of my birthing, like like we all come into this life with an essential, um, infinite understanding mm. of our connection with the divine, yeah. um, with the nature, with play, with um, a limitless golden curiosity, like the inner child. We're all born with this permeability, this deep permeability and connection with all things. And... Um, that is celebrated in little infants and then <laughs> slowly sort of um, shut down and shamed for various socio-parental um, political reasons. And, and yet it's that sense of the vibrant permeability and connection with life that I've sought to keep actually I haven't sought I think my, my body and my system has fought to keep its connection with it and when I was a child I didn't I didn't understand that even as a teenager as a, as a 20 something or even 30 something did I understand what my system wanted and it was seeking for that eternal connection with with the oneness of being so my my life sort of took on a what I now see is the perfect path for, 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 for Lewis Barford. Yeah. But at the time, um, I, um, I was, a I was, I went to medical school and I studied to be a doctor, which at the time felt totally, um, in conflict with my creative source. And, um, I had a lot of conflict going through the sort of medical training, wanting to be jumping around, singing and dancing and performing and expressing in a way that the paradigm of medicine didn't seem to allow me. Mm. Um, but actually that pathway was one of learning deeply about the human body and the human condition. And I now see how that has been a foundational learning for me and like what I'm doing with my work and with my the integration of my facets. I think I think part of this this covid time and this stillness that I have had the luxury and the some many skills and tools in my in my toolkit to hold me in my wellness during this time. Mm. is part of it is really allowed a surrender into the reintegration of the wholeness of who I am. So a pulling together of the aspects of who I am. I, I mean, as you know, Linda, you know, I've got an album coming out. So we like yeah. this, this musical, creative, creatrix aspect of myself mm. could have been on tour push it you know, selling my music and all that. Yeah. But actually this space has allowed a deepening surrender into a more mature uh, um, coalescence of all my aspects. So the healing through medicine, the learning through medicine, how that seeing 
illness, people when they're out of balance, it's not just the medical spot diagnosis of, oh, I see that this is what's going wrong, which is quite mm. fun. Yeah. But it's also watching people and, and learning. I've learned about, I suppose, to use my intuition, not mm. just my medical training, but the sort of the depth of intuition, which medics do use, yeah. but is a is a is a is a gift to the feminine and is you know is is part of this this gift that is being reawakened among so many women around the globe in so many um uh, um I, i'm going to say like they're like geezers of energy bursting up through the earth you know these a- activists and speakers and um empowering empowering females this this rising trust in the intuition which yeah. has been as we know you know i'm i'm talking to the converted but it's been silenced for millennia um mm. the witch wound the the suppression of the feminine the intuition yeah. so that has been um in addition to my medicine, that sort of reawakening in my own being and life of the of taking ownership of that power of seeing. And then because I after my medical training, I worked for many years in medicine and then left medicine to train as an actor. Um, I actually, I, you know, what happened is I got I got septicemia and I was admitted under my own consultant and mm. I had um, I had a series of hallucinations um, and uh it, I got a very clear message I need to quit and go to drama school and so I did wow. and um, I was welcome back at any time to medicine but then I then I trained as an actor um, that then helped me learn how to use the emotional intelligence of the body I yeah. learned how to use the voice how to use the body how to use body language I suppose and understand it on a on a different plane and then I worked as an actor for many years, also locuming in oncology and palliative care. What a, what a contrast and like a juxtaposition to the seriousness of, you know, the medical world and, yeah. you know, to go from that to, you know, and I remember like acting 101 where you go in and I remember my first uh, acting class and it was like, become a tree, like be, pretend, uh, like believe you are a tree and act like a tree. I don't know whether that's, that's practiced in a lot of acting training, but I just... Kind of remember the vulnerability of that is the minute someone said that and, and something so kind of just what you would assume is simple and that kind of you know just instantly connected nature become a tree and I just remember going what this is silly this is like ridiculous but it yeah. actually wasn't because yeah. it was one of the most natural states that you could be but because we're so detached from the natural self and where we have like evolved from it was a really big challenge for me at the time you know I was about 19 or 20 and I was just kind of going becoming a tree what what is she telling me to do and and then it took a few like it took a few weeks of the class and I went up to the acting acting teacher the coach afterwards and I said you know what I I get it I get it It took me a while but I get it now and just how and and it really proved how distant we are from that part of ourselves you know And, and it made sense in in acting to that one of the first rules is to reconnect instantly because yeah. when we reconnect with that raw emotion, we can then portray that. But um, that's, well, that's it's, it's It's connecting with presence, absolute yeah. presence. So the presence of being fully within your skin, mm. within your emotional body, your energetic body, and the room, and the gestalt of the room. Yeah. And it's like how to be really permeable and open to all of those things at exactly yeah. the same time without hiding part of yourself or, um, you know, acting out on someone else, just being permeable to the whole setup. 
up. That's mm. what acting, great acting is, is that total presence. So mm. anything is possible. And also in that moment, we are total vessels for anything to to be a download like to to arrive to us you know that's the creative state of flow I find um um and also this I, I realize I've been talking for ages so Laura oh, you're <laughs> like, you're this is what this this podcast is everyone just goes on and, and it's just about <laughs> listening to each other and and the natural flow I mean speaking of natural flows like so basically you went on a journey if you will to find that inner voice to connect with that that feminine aspect of yourself and, and to reemerge as, you know, almost a new, um, uh, not, not as much a new, but kind of just more connected to that divine uh, feminine power within. And that kind of lent itself to Laura's journey because the Bevogue project is all about giving a voice to the silenced feminine in Ireland specifically. Um, Laura, just tell us a little bit about that, um, that project and the, the journey that led you there. Yeah, sure. So the Bubble Project has been running for about two years now. Um, I started in November 2018 and the aim of the project was to make a tiny doll for each of the 6,000 babies that are said to have died in Ireland's mother and baby homes. Um, so my journey to the project, um, so I've been a doll maker for about just over 10 years now Mm. um and I the instant I started making dolls I fell in love with it completely head over heels fell in love with it Mm. um and so I started making them for my own children um and then pretty much anybody that I knew (laughs) until I'd saturated my friends and family with dolls (laughs) um and then I'd kind of built confidence to to offer them further afield and and I opened a little Etsy shop and I started to sell them much to my utter delight and very quickly um, after I started selling them I started doing custom order work so making dolls in the image of of the children they were for Mm. um, which is really lovely and there's you know there's some lovely healing aspects to that as well but what interested me most and what really took me by surprise was that quite quickly into that women started asking me to make them dolls um, as part of their own healing journeys. So my the, the first client I had um, that I was aware that I was doing that for, um, I became aware I went through, again, actually, like Louis it's through intuition. I knew she was asking me for a doll for herself, for a part mm-hmm. of herself. Um, and so we developed quite a strong relationship because this lady as a child had been so badly abused that she had shattered into hundreds of pieces. Mm. Um, we, so we call that, it's diagnosed as DID, so um, Dissociative Identity Disorder in the, in the States. But here we call it Multiple Personality Disorder. Um, so a lot of her personalities, she, I mean, she had upwards of 200 personalities and most of them were children and one of the ways that she was working with a therapist and one of the ways that she soothed those children and connected with those parts of herself was through um, buying a doll um, for that particular um, child um, so it, it was really interesting really That's heartbreaking yeah. yeah yeah and so I worked with her for several years and, and then started working with other women as well mm-hmm. um, I've done it made um, I do quite a lot of work for for women who have lost babies or lost children was it baby Stephen that kind of prompted you to go into the 
Yeah, so so the so the another aspect that I think I do is to make dolls for people's inner children. Um, mm-hmm. And in the summer of 2018, I was talking with a good friend of mine who who happens to be a therapist as well, and um, she told me that she was born in a mother and baby home, and I I, yeah, I, had, I hadn't known that part of her story. Um, and you know there was a lot of trauma there when she was little, and so I offered to make her a doll, uh, you know, of that little her. Um, so that she could have something tangible to hold and uh, people find it really helpful so I did I made her a doll of herself round about the age that she was adopted and I gave it to her as a gift and she was really touched and she did find it really helpful Mm -hmm. Um, and then she asked me would I mind making dolls for her two siblings who were also born in mother and baby homes Mm -hmm. um, and one of whom her little brother Stephen died when he was um, a few weeks old and he's buried in an unmarked pauper's grave. Um, and so while I was making Stephen's doll, I was so deeply touched. Um, I felt this enormous honour that I was holding this little boy's memory um, and I was making him a gift that no one had ever done that for him before. Um, his sister told me that three people attended his funeral um, you know, most people didn't know that he he had ever lived. Yeah. Um, and it just uh, felt yeah. like this huge, huge honor to be to be holding him and, and doing this for him. Um, and it was at that point I, I thought, you know, I'd love to do this for every baby that died in this way. Um, and I resolved to do that and did some research at that point and realized it was 6,000 is the estimated number. And of course I couldn't make 6,000 dolls on my own. And so that was the beginning of the project. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's so visceral and raw and kind of so many people can connect in Ireland and, and further afield as well, because, you know, my, my mother was sent to a modern baby home. Like I, we found our brother a few years ago, probably five years ago. And there was that instant connection with him. I mean, I actually, to, to the extent that when I was about 17, I, I was doing an apprenticeship in a, um, this amazing studio with the, a glass blower, uh, a jewellery maker and a bronze sculptor, John Cohen, amazing Irish artist. And I remember at the end of the internship, he just said, um, he said, Linda, you can, here's a piece of, you know, it was kind of like a, a model clay, clay model. He was like, you can do whatever you want there and I'll cast it for you. And I was thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. And at the time, Kosovo, the Balkan, there was a lot of troubles in the, in the Balkans. And I always felt really connected to it, even though I was in Ireland. And I remember even like exams coming up, uh, like in school, because I was going into my leaving cert year and stuff. And I just remember being so conflicted because I would sleep at night and I would see women and children in mass graves. And I just, I don't understand how I did, but I was, I felt like I was in Kosovo and I was in these places. So I ended up doing a sculpting of a woman caught up in a wave and I still have it to this day it's, it's in storage because I'm not in Ireland but it's just basically this woman in a wave and when I met my brother years later I discovered that he was a soldier in Kosovo he joined the French Foreign mm. Legion and he had a tattoo of a woman caught up in a wave on his <laughs> arm and he had it at the same time when I was about 17 because he's a few years older than me and um, he was over there in his like kind of like early 20s would have been 2021 and it was just this kind of I'm even getting goosebumps even thinking about it. I was just like, oh my God, the connectedness that that we we all kind of have to our past, even if the past wasn't there. You know, I mean, like he had a different past to me, but it was still connected. And there's going to be so many people listening in that 
would have either know someone that was, uh, you know, affected by the mother and baby homes and, and the factory focal system of the of the Catholic Church in Ireland and the religious mm-hmm. institutions and even what's just after happening in the country with the failures of Roderick O'Gorman and re-traumatizing all the women of Ireland and the children, mm-hmm. men and children and, and uh, women that were affected by it. So to hear this beautiful project um, mm. and and because I do remember I, like I, I looked up uh, about what the Babo project was about and, and baby Stephen and I rang my mother and I said I'll be speaking to this lovely woman um, and I was telling my mom all about it and she was one of the women that Primetime did a special on and she was just wonderful and, and she has, has has had a very conflicted like life coming from the mother and baby homes because of how they were the women were treated and they were mm. totally stripped of their identities they couldn't even have their own names when they were there like they were sent mm. in and and I think that the lack of ownership of who you are really stripped them of their identity, mm. not only as a their feminine energy, but their actual identities, you know, because she was saying yeah. that, you know, her friends and that, like, um, they had to be named different. She doesn't even know what some of the real names of the women are to even reconnect with them now. Yeah. And um, it was just tragic here. And then they all came home broken women. So the choices they made thereafter would would have been really bad choices, you know, with who their partners were and life decisions and stuff. And then second generations were affected. So mm. it was such a deep wound in that generation of women in Ireland. And that deep wound is, is still carried. So I think anything that is of a healing aspect and can act as not just a pacifier, which is what kind of a, 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 a doll is in some aspects, aspects like, but it's a little, it's so much more because of the element of, you know, connection and, and mm. the, the background. I just think it's a beautiful project. And my mother was like, oh, I would love to do that when you come home for Christmas, you know, let's yeah, make a doll lovely. together. And just to be able to do that. And my, my brother just had a baby, you know, he just had it over the weekend. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's just such a lovely thing like that he now in his life can celebrate. Now he already has uh, three kids, but he, he's, he's kind of, he's constantly renewing himself because he's on his own journey as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's such a lovely thing, you know, and, and how can, you know, anyone that's listening in, like how can they um, get involved in the project? I mean, you said it was kind of people can make them at home. How do they, is there a template they use or how do they yeah. kind of? Well, well, actually that, that part of the project is closed. The, um, we had, we, the closing date was on All Souls Day on November the 2nd. So um, people have been sending dolls in, um, up until then and um, so we actually have more than six thousand dolls already wow. but I think um, just to speak to that I think that um, both you and Lewis have talked about this connection this connectiveness that we have and that we feel and I think what the Babogue project has allowed people to do was to connect with this issue in a very heartfelt way, in a way that they might never have done before. Mm. Um, taking a, the time to sit down and create something, mm. you, you, you step out of life a little bit. Um, as you both probably know, you know, being creative people, you step out of life a little bit and you allow an openness um, and you allow a different emotional flow to come through you. And I think that um, when when people have sat down to create the babogs, they've allowed themselves to connect deeply with the, the communal grief Ireland has. So many, many people who have participated in the project 
might not know or, or don't have a direct connection with Ireland's mother and baby homes. Like I, I don't have a direct connection. As you can hear from my accent, I'm Scottish. Um, but I am a human being and I and a woman and a daughter and a sister and an aunt, and I deeply connect with other people and I I feel this enormous grief that the whole country feels like you're saying there was this was generations of people were affected so deeply um with this and there is a communal grief there and I actually feel it's very important we give ourselves the time to tap into that grief and that we feel it and we take a couple of hours and we shed tears and um you know we really allow ourselves to feel that because we need to feel that we need to feel that grief so that we can develop the empathy that's required for us to stand up as a nation for the survivors and for the women to ensure their voices are heard and to ensure they're minded the way they need to be minded so I think that even though the Babog project has is closed and we're not, um, you know, we we don't require any more contributions, I still think it's very important if you feel drawn to to make something yourself, mm-hmm. uh, you know, make a Babog yourself. There are lots of patterns there, or just go with your heart, let your hands just create something, but give yourself that time to connect to that communal grief, to your own grief, to this grief we all feel. Um, and allow that to, to to break your heart so that your heart can open enough then to act. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like um, I, I remember when all this was kind of happening when I was younger, my, I had an amazing art teacher um, who's actually the credible artist, Bernie Leahy. And um, she said she, she kind of mentioned uh, Kintsungi, which is a Japanese um, art form of breaking these beautiful uh, bowls or vases mm-hmm. only to put yeah. them back together and, and to mm-hmm. meld them with, with golden mm-hmm. kind of tread, melt it down. And so that something that's broken is actually made more beautiful when it's put back together. And I always just really loved that whole philosophy of mm-hmm. sometimes when people think, because I remember like when I was, you know, this way we're teenager and, you know, like I'm broken on the inside. Like, how am I going to repair? Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, but you can, you know, and, and it's it's surrendering to that vulnerability and the pain, you know, because when we were like, we we and we had Misha Foster on the last um, podcast and we, we discussed, you know, the sexual abuse and the trauma and stuff that a lot of Irish women have gone through within the traditional Irish sector with, you know, child predators and stuff. And it was it's so terrible what, what we have to endure, you know, but with a lot of generations of women from the modern baby home, they did go on to make the not really savory decisions with their partners. And again, second generations did struggle and suffer because of that, because the women had no love connection with themselves. So they chose partners that were, you know, very, very negative people. And, you know, then they would have had that type of impacts on their, their children to come and stuff. So, yeah, it was just that kind of, deep rooted pain that a lot of you know uh, children from that era of women carried around and again the reconnection the sitting with that type of pain and rebuilding something that was broken and I think that again just with the the aspect of even just getting something like you know the tread and the you know the wool and whatever um, cotton whatever kind of elements that you use to make these dolls it's Mm. so I just think it's brilliant. I totally want to do it with my mum. And it's because it's it's creating something, but it's also putting something back together. And I think I just find it so beautiful. And thank you so much for, for coming up with that 
idea because I think it's a very special healing process that I, I know that loads yeah. of people have um, found a lot of solace within, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think as well that it's, for me, it's um, like a welcoming back into part of ourselves. So like what Lewis was talking about earlier on, we, we grew up in a society where we cut off parts of ourselves. Um, and a lot of those things are, are to do with the feminine. And mm. it feels like it's the... So um, when I came up with the idea, I'd been doing a lot of work on the mother wound, which is, you know, the, the wounding that happens to us as women as we grow up um, and these parts that we have to cut off of ourselves and, and hide in shadow. And, um, it, you know, it, it just felt like um, at the time to me that the mother and baby homes the, the the women it was like that it was like this enormous mother wounds throughout mother ireland and that we'd cut off these shameful parts of ourselves and hidden them away in these homes and in, in shallow graves in the ground um and it feels like there is this collective movement to 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 look at these shadow parts of ourselves and welcome them back in our own psyches and i think that that is then will translate out into us, you know, really acknowledging that that's, this is what we did to huge parts of our own, you know, our real women yeah. <laughs> and, and get them away. And that kind of ties back in. So I'd gone through that process and it, it ties back into how I met Lewis. Um, mm. You know, part of that, that feminine that I'd cut off on myself was a wildness. Um, and that that's, you know, the, the raw wildness of the female energy um, and, I met Lewis at a, a wild woman workshop um, that she ran in West Cork. Um, and yeah, I think it's very important that we do. We, we look at these elements and it is painful to look at and, and painful to, to, to know that we're complicit in the cutting off of these parts of ourselves and parts of our, our society and our sisters. Um, but we do need to look at it in order to be able to, to, to heal that again. Yeah, I mean, I just this wild woman workshop. I mean, I just like bing. <laughs> Where do I sign up? Um, you know, and, and she just mentioned Mother Island there, and I know Lewis that you are working on a project uh, concerning like Mother Ireland. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. It's so gorgeous to hear you speak, Laura. You know, what I realise is, you know, we all we're all saying the same things through different vessels. It's 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 wonderful to feel this sort of collective emergence I, I was like so excited yeah so mother island um is i around the same time that you started um developing the Beobog project i had a strong calling to come to ireland and reconnect with my heritage here um my mum was was incarcerated in an orphanage in cove and um as were my aunties and uncles sent to industrial schools and my nan was sent to a the asylum, Our Lady's Asylum in Cork, for defending herself from my grandfather. Mm. Um, and um, so I had a sort of legacy that it was inherited of a, a, a silenced feminine, a silenced island, and I couldn't be half Irish. We couldn't talk about Ireland, and Ireland didn't exist. You know, my mum had been so had been a part of this dehumanization of the feminine mm. and she survived and she was a survivor and a successful woman who managed to have a wonderful family, give so much love to us mm. in spite of the fact that she was separated from her mom at the age of five. Wow. 
Um, and then she became a midwife and birthed and helped women birth. And she was, you know, she was a woman of great giving and love. So she was lucky. But actually, you know, this that's like surviving this whole um that's a sort of a first wave. If you're lucky enough to be a survivor, that's brilliant. But then what happens? What? Do, how do we move on from that individually, collectively, societally? And, and, and like Laura was saying, as a community, as a country, and this expands beyond to, you know, other, other countries around the world. Mm. This isn't a, 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 an isolated um, um, a phenomenon. But, you know, we, we are speaking rootedly about the, 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 the suppression of the feminine in Ireland. So I'll, mm. I'll bring it back there. Um, but how do we rehumanize the feminine? This isn't something that happens just in one generation or even perhaps two generations. The 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 wounding, the 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 paradigms in which we see and hold things are so um deeply in in like enmeshed in our systems, in our actual corpuscles, in our bodily being, that we I suppose I have an urgency for direct action and transformation, but actually we have to allow these things to unfold at the in the at the pace that they can um, safely for each individual and each community. Um, and so, Mother Island is a. I, I don't know what it's going to become. It feels like it might become a, a documentary. It's got a lot of music in it. It's got a lot of um, um, yeah reflections from me and I've, I've essentially been researching the the orphanage that my mum was incarcerated in I broke in twice perhaps the only perhaps the only woman to have broken in this orphanage is listening in I did I broke I broke in and I've got footage mate so, um, <laughs> but I didn't do any damage and and um, but I've actually went in a third time invited um by as as the beautiful serendipity and synchronicity happens um in 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 Ireland um i last christmas i met a woman in cove who was at a christmas fair and um within a moment we we both i told her about my mum she was in the orphanage at the same time as my mum and that was on a saturday and on the tuesday we were in the orphanage let in by the caretaker and we spent three hours walking around with me videoing and recording her telling me all her stories. Yeah. And she saying she used to sit on a desk opposite where my mum was. Wow. Like for her to share that in mm. itself was a phenomenal healing. For me to hear that as the daughter of a mother who couldn't talk about that was a phenomenal healing. And this this whole the caretaker who was with us started sharing his stories and her children don't know this you know her children don't know this information and here I am a stranger but not a stranger someone who implicitly understands Mm. and we had this beautiful outpouring of 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 story of grief of 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 an unlifting of the wound and just Mm. holding it with the compassionate safety of a witness and and so the Mother Island project is in development, is looking at particularly rooting it on my family experience, but it's a collective experience that we have here in Ireland. Mm. How many other voices haven't been heard? I wouldn't want anyone else like my mum to go to her grave having not been able to share, having gone mm. to the grave with all of that shame and secrecy mm. and silencing that was physical, you know, it was visceral within her. Mm. Yeah. And so I 
part of my purpose and my calling is to is to hold space for other women and men but men quite frankly didn't show up the workshops I set up for all genders mm. but they've they very quickly became for female identified people mm. um and they are safe containers uh for people to show up in all facets of their being and I they're very strongly held and guided they, they follow a collection of archetypes that I've chosen. I have about 14. So the, the inner child, the wild woman, the mother, the maiden, the huntress, the warrior, the crone, the priestess. Um, and I look at specific goddesses. Um, so I have a Bridget workshop. Um, and she's particularly potent here in Ireland because yeah. – um, because of all the things you, you, you probably already know about her um, and, and um, in bulk and the birthing of spring and mm. the bringer of, but um, and also a manifestation of the divine feminine. But yeah, I was just at the list scanner um, when I was in Ireland in, back in September. I went with my mum and um, my aunt and we went past, we were on the way to the Cliffs of Moher and they stopped off mm. at St. Bridget's um, mm. well. well. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know how many times I was there uh, like throughout my life and I never knew because I never really stopped because my nana used to always stop there. Mm-hmm. And my nana uh, passed away a few years ago and my, my mother was like, oh no, we'll stop here and, and say a prayer for nana. And I was thinking, well, how have I never seen this? But it was because I was always with the cousins and we all just went on to the cliffs. Like, but yeah. it was almost like a rite of passage. Like you're, you're able now, you know, you're in your thirties, yeah. you have embraced <laughs> womanhood and, you know, welcome to the, welcome to the circle type of thing. And it was such a lovely, no, I wouldn't be religious. I'd be very spiritual, but yeah. I loved the fact that they still called it Bridget's Well. And that, and I know a lot of, you know, the, the Catholic, because it was very, very Catholic and Christian, but at the same time, anyone that is Wicca or pagan will identify St. Bridget as exactly. the deity. You know, the exact, she's, a Kel- she's a Celtic yeah. go- goddess that goes back way before Christianity. Yeah, and Christianity as, borrowed from Mary, you know. I mean, exactly, there's, there's a lot. Exactly. Yeah. You know, she 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 was way before then, as was um, the, the Morrigan, all of these Celtic goddesses. Yeah. Pan-European, actually, to yeah. the Celtic nations. They... they, they I'm going to say it, you know, Christianity stole. <laughs> they did, though. They, they, did. Stole, they stole. And then yeah. they made it, they condensed it into St. Patrick. So, like, yeah. luckily we are having a, you know, Bridget's getting her her her, her space now. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to say about Bridget, actually, is that I was doing some research and I, 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 I read that she may have been the source, um, the birthing of Keening. Mm-hmm. Um, of, the, of, of um, because she was crying, the cr- her cries apparently there was a battle between two warring families, and I think her son died. Um, and, and actually, if somebody can quote me on that, I might have got that wrong. It might have been the son, a son of what of a close relative. Mm. Um, but her cry and her call and her keen was so strong that it stopped this long-standing battle. Um, and so, in the workshop with Bridget, I hold um, a sacred keening, mm. that space for women to use their voices, mm. but use them as vehicles to express their unexpressed. So for, so for anyone that doesn't know what keening is, can you explain what that is? Oh, yeah. So keening is um, uh, a, tr- uh, a tradition, I-, I believe, from 
actually is it from Ireland? I I also heard it in Polynesia when I was working there when I was 18, a sort of mourning, lamenting over the dead, a mm. passing that there were in Ireland. I don't think there are any keeners still around, but if mm. there are, please call me because so I want like to a banshee's role is to 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 mourn was it to mourn like as in would it be the sim- similar type of connection as to the banshee the wailer absolutely yes yeah. so he, wailing the grief of mm. the of the of of of, of the people yeah. but who are mourning but also singing the passage of the spirit of the deceased so mm. a really sacred honoring through voice through vibration through pure expression of the you know, we, we all know when someone gets some awful news and they let out that voice. It's like a penetrative. We understand it. It's beyond words, the sort of mm. the expression of voice. Actually, even in delight, you know, when someone really yeah. laughs from their heart, it's an instant understanding of, 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 of all essence of that moment in time. And so keening and the, and the, 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 the yeah, I think I've just got really excited and passionate. I think, what was the question you were asking me? What is keening? Have I yeah. answered that? <laughs> you have, you have, you have. I mean, and it's great that these workshops are are accessible and they're going to be running next year as well. Um, am I correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I'm, I'm hungry to start them again. And uh, yeah. Yeah, depending on which archetype we look at depends on where the focus lies. So something like the warrior or wild woman is very physical and energetic. And um, but we work within the remit of everyone's bodies, whereas something like the priestess is a much stiller distillation of being um, Mm. seeking much more deeply into intuition and um, a, a deeper sense of spirituality, whatever that may mean for the individual yeah um, I think it's um kind of interesting Lewis that um your work in a way also you know re- reflects the 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 dolmaking process is that it's enables the storytelling without words yeah and I think that um for many people being able to tell their story without words is hugely valuable I think mm. um, it's I, I suppose as well, um, it's quite. It feels also quite a feminine or, you know, a female thing to do is to be able to express ourselves without words. Um, I think that you know there is definite value in in kind of talking therapy and and, and um, like psychotherapy and counselling and things like that. But it, I think that that does does one part. But I also think there is a huge other part of us, a, a huge soul part of us that maybe can't be expressed just by talking our experience exactly that's Mm. exactly exactly it Laura and Mm. you know I've had some women and who maybe had three years of therapy and they're just talking the same old circular story how to reframe how they're looking at what's going on and the traumas they've had Mm. and then we just do something through the body through the voice fully Mm. engaging and boom it's like a rocket fuel what what I'd call a transformational booth Mm. (laughs) like I am after that direct action transformational booth Mm. um because it's so possible to to totally transform in that moment like burning up in the karmic flames you know direct Mm. action um Mm. that's that's you know I am I I come with it with that I I guess with that invitation that that efficiency of 
of of of transformation of 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 change of totally shifting and surrender mm. is possible in a moment yeah um, I mean, we, we, we've touched on that the workshops were open to men as well and people of all, all genders. And, you know, I, I, just because I, I have a brother that's from the, the situation of the mother and baby homes, I know that, you know, my brother is so in touch with his feminine side. He's a, I mean, he, he is a manly man. He's like G.I. Joe. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. But there are so many men that have been hurt and devastatingly so. And they've got they have had their, their male energies as well as their mm. female energies ripped from them because they didn't have a say in their wives or their their um significant others or their girlfriends or their partners that were just taken from them and put into these homes and they didn't have a voice to say I'll I'll hang on I'll look after this because a lot of the time they weren't given the most of the time they weren't given the option like so I mean for any men because we do have a lot of men that that are amazing feminists and that supported the why not her um campaign I mean for men that are remotely interested a lot of them won't say they are but those that are and I know that there are because I've spoken to so many um allies mm, yeah I mean what is it still open to um to everybody and like what can they expect if if they did um enroll and what are the uh benefits of men actually joining women in that type of energetic uh, circle mm. and and community and what, what can they gain from it? Because I'd imagine that they could gain so much in terms yeah. of understanding oh, yeah. and, and rising oh, together yeah. and healing together. So brothers, I am open in my heart to being mm. of service to you and I am ready to do that. And I, I already have a plan. So <laughs> you show up and let me know. And I know a few people already have. Yeah. But I feel like I need to hold the masculine, the mm. the assigned masculine at birth mas- male identified men people mm. um separately from the yeah. feminine mm. and i need to do that work with them as i'm doing this work with the female identified people separately and i've done this with um large groups of young people whilst making sort of transformational theater yeah. and there is an enormity of safety mm. and freedom by doing the first steps separately yeah once I have a community of people who've done the work with me and so they understand the language and how I work, they mm-hmm. understand, I would say, the rules of safety. Yeah. So, um, yeah, how to be show up in accountability for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and once that's happened, I want to do the work for the women, the female identified people, mm-hmm. um, with the male identified people witnessing yeah and vice versa and then I want them to meet and do the work together but my belief is that the 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 wounding of the separation of the masculine and the feminine not just in the biological but also within ourselves Mm. is 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 needing its own healing first before we we dance together but that would be my life's work that's my intention and my dream is that this work will be for all with everybody in their own masculine and feminine balance and you know biologically in whatever the gender definition Mm. is that it's a whole safety pool but at the moment it has to be um separate but i'm ready to go with the men i've got the Mm. workshops um um we're ready when yeah, they that's are. that's wonderful like and just with regards to how 
you know, you mentioned at the very start, how we're all coming in, into ourselves and, and uniting in this amazing feminine energy, which we spoke about when we first met um, um, Lewis. And I know that you and Laura met with the Wild Woman Workshop. And then through that, you both ended up being featured in the Creatrix book by <laughs> Lucy H. Pierce, which is a book about women and men of the 21st century. So can you just delve a little bit into that and, and in Lucy's work and what that book kind of entails? Um, do you want to have a go on that one, Laura? Shall I? Um, I can speak a little bit to it. Um, so I've known Lucy for, for several years, mm-hmm. actually for quite a long time now. I keep thinking that our kids are still really young. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, and um, like, so my path and Lucy's path kind of mirrored each other in that we are creativity um found a a whole different level when we had our children and um so our our creative paths have kind of mirrored each other in that way um and so she asked um would I be part of of that of, of the creatrix book um talking about my experience of she who makes um my experience of of um stepping out of my own way to allow the creative energy to come through um, and the ways in which I I make space for that to happen because I have to make space. Like, you know, I I have a very busy house Mm. and a very busy life and I do have to, you know, physically, emotionally and mentally make space for for that creative energy energy to flow through. And that is how, for example, the Babo Project happened. And that is also how I can... Um, you know make these healing dolls for people it's a a special kind of creative energy and I can hear it and I see it in in Lewis's work as well that it's something bigger than her that flows through her is that right Lewis yeah I mean I I need I just get out of the the intention is to get out of the way Mm. so that I'm a clean vessel like a drain that's got nothing blocking it Mm. and then show up for the artistry or show up for being of service in the work so that Mm. this stuff lands um yeah I love that like that kind of surrendering to being of service um like the first episode of the of the podcast we had Ruthann and Anya and our work this year, you know, I, I knew Anya for years and years. I didn't know Ruthann at all. Um, and we had uh, in June, like, well, in, in March, when I got stuck in Ireland, I kind of went, you know what, this is the year to highlight uh, women and how silenced they've been in the music scene in Ireland. Because I've been a publicist, a music publicist and a radio blogger for nearly 15 years. And I said, you know, I'll just, I'll take, cause I felt so protected in the feminine circle that I was in living with my sister and my two amazing nieces. And I'd never felt that type of connectedness to heart energy before. I was just so, so at peace and so loved and safe. And I dearly, dearly love my sister for that and for giving me that. And likewise, cause she had gone through a breakup, uh, a bad breakup with her partner and she'd finally had the energy to leave. I'd gone through a bad breakup and within that brokenness, we found each other and we found that connectedness with our our higher kind of selves and she went on a path of, of self-discovery and I did but it was just lovely to have gone through it together but yeah. um but she again it's kind of like it's that full circle of kind of go, coming into yourself and then be, becoming a vessel to help other people as well so yeah within that's... that I I kind of talked to her and I said I think I'm ready to to speak up about the 
the devastation uh, that mm. has happened to the women of Ireland in the music industry because they just have been silenced off to airwaves that are totally homogenized um, but I'm run by men and I said you know it probably will affect my work but I, I feel I'm in a safe space where like like yourself Lewis like I'd, I'd studied um, I'm a qualified nutritional therapist I've studied advanced anatomy and physiology I studied chemistry like and mm-hmm. I never kind of use any of them because I've so I've been in so in touch with the creative aspect and serving mm-hmm. people in the format of, of PR and, and management and stuff so I just said you know what if this blows up and I lose my job, I'll always have that to fall back on. And I do art as well, you know, not, not bad at art. So I said, you know what, I'll, I'll do it. And um, and I did. And and I ended up doing two reports, one on Irish radio and, and uh, the landscape here and one in the UK. And it just ended up that it blew up, went viral and, you know, got over 60 million people viewed the reports. And I never mm-hmm. in my wildest dreams would have imagined that mm-hmm. that would have happened. But because I gave in to that kind of, because I had so much energy running through me and I didn't mm. understand it. And I, to the extent where, you know, I'd, at some days I just feel like there was something going to come out of me, like, you know, whether my hands or my brain. And it was just, it was daunting mm. at times, but it was that giving into that process and just surrendering myself to like, okay, I know someone's trying to speak through me. Is it, you know, I, I'm a, a gayer person. I, I'm, I, again, I'm very spiritual. I feel very connected to other nature. So I want to serve as I, as best I can. So given into that and just kind of going, right, whatever, purpose you feel that you have for me just run it through me you know I'm ready and I and I'm here you know and and it really transpired because the the outcome has changed um the systematic oppression of women uh in the music industry in Ireland forever like you know historically Mm -hmm. historic changes and I I I wouldn't take full kind of credit for that because it really was the coming together of the likes of Anya Tyrrell who helped me with the graphics mm-hmm. on the report and then Ruthann was starting a project Irish Women in Harmony and it, mm-hmm. she did it like within a month of me doing the report and mm. everything was just pure synchronicity and it just really fitted in and blended in harmoniously and I think that the, the, the contribution to that kind of working and and and, and working out and, and just being mm-hmm. so effective was that just total surrender to service and good woman it's such a wonderful thing and and and, and again i think that that is happening with a lot of women around yeah. the world because i've i've spoken to you know women on the podcast from you know new york and from the sex industry from the porn industry from the science from medical from i mean jesus every type yeah. of industry and it's just we all have that similar framework of you just just surrendering to that, you know, we we have we're of service to something that's higher than ourselves, a message yeah. that is, and it's not, and yeah, it's so you have to be so careful with stuff like that because I do see along the way people with these messiah complexes and like, you know, I am the, and it's like, no, that's not what it's about. It's kind of being no. more genuine in your approach and just allowing people to exist within that. Um, well, that's that's the shadow pole of yeah. of being sort of you know a leader or or a queen or an activist mm. one of the shadows you know I, I, it's it's phenomenal what you've achieved there linda you know well done you i don't know if you know i hope lots of people have said that to you yeah. uh, i really want to say something to the to the listeners because i i i remember when i was a younger version of myself and mm. um, like hearing this phenomenal actions that you've been inspired to take that have you you know you're a total change maker we're all change makers and the other women Mm. in the podcasts also are and I I imagine there are women out there who are like 
I want that too. I want to be like that. Like, yes, you do. And here's the thing is you do your thing. You know, I I, I often say this in in workshops, you know, comparison is a killer. You know, use whatever you've heard as inspiration for your own journey, because a bit like, you know, I was waffling on about this medicine and all my sort of stepping stones that I've Mm. taken, not knowing where it was going and also feeling a lot of awkward confusion and resistance along the path but actually the it's sort of fallen into place by me getting out of the way and so I think trust that if you just focus on your surrender and on your on your I guess daily practices and trust that your version of you know Linda or Lewis or Laura or all the other women your version will emerge through your unique voice using your all facets of who you are are integral and essential um even the shadows even the the bits you may not have even shared with anyone in your life yet those wounds they can be you know with turnarounds your gifts um so like embrace all of you to make the you come through um which actually which is sort of ironic because actually it's not you in the end it's just spirit (laughs) but but it's through your unique voice your vessel this this lifetime um that's that's really true and I I totally I totally agree with that I never had imagined that um you know my doll making (laughs) would would create this you know pathway to towards um you know um enabling other women to have a voice um, you know, I would never have imagined it. Um, I'm I'm just so grateful that I did follow my my joy um mm. and to follow that feeling that it just is so right that I'm a doll maker. Um, you know, it's certainly not what you know, I I studied something very different at university as well. And mm. <laughs> I'm sure you don't need any degree to doll make. So um yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's a really beautiful thing to offer to everybody that is it's follow your joy and follow your passion mm. and and just trust. Yeah. I love the, what you said there, that wounds can become your gifts. And so many people are so kind of almost stuck in a, in a tonic immobility. Because I've, I've just been reading so much over COVID and I, I'm, I'm reading a book and, and in the book it, it has about um tonic immobility and how if we are in this trauma state that we we act almost like animals like a deer in a headlight where they just freeze and they go into a state of ti and it's like don't want to move and and so many people are stuck and stagnated within their lives and within the, the flow of their life when something happens but if we can go out at the other side and if we can if we can turn them wounds into something that can empower us and, and not to be used against us and, and turn them into gifts it's so wonderful um and to be empowered by that and just on the note of you know being empowered or empowering what which is a question we ask um all of all of um our guests like what women because we, we i suppose in, in many elements we grow up reading texts and books and and everything authored by men and you know it's 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 all from in school to mathematics to everything science it's it's by men and we're reading words that are, yeah. haven't been shared by women and written by women and that's kind of starting to change now in the last few years but we still have such a long way to go so we always try to focus on mentioning books and highlighting them and recommending them to Ooh, our listeners yeah. that that were by women um you know and that inspire women so what books or mantras or you know um affirmations that have been written and authored by women inspire you both 
Ooh, car. Yeah, right. So um, you have to, if you haven't, uh, read or listen to Brené Brown, a Texan mm. woman who speaks about shame. She is the bomb. She I is awesome. Um, uh, she's she's effing phenomenal. I don't know what she talks about vulnerability and art. Yeah. Brilliant. And belonging. So Brené Brown, Braving the Wilderness may be a good one to start mm. with. Yeah. Archetypally, um, I totally get you about the masculine. Like, I, I'm I'm not interested in reading any of Jung's work or um, Joseph Campbell because mm. they speak, they've set up the paradigm of what an archetype is from the male perspective. Yeah. And, all, all women don't want to have penises. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. So so this whole, I, I won't go into that because that could be a whole hour. Mm. But <laughs> women, women's um, who write well and beautifully and have been a deep inspiration to me who write about the archetypes are there's a book called Women Who Run With The Wolves yeah. by Clarissa Pincola Estes, which took me a year to, to read the first time because it blew me apart with every chapter. Mm. Um, and then another book by um, Jean Shinoda Bolan called Goddesses in Every Woman. Um, don't be put off by goddess thinking it's airy fairy. She's looking specifically mm. at seven Greek goddesses and she's a, psych- a, a psychologist um, um, and it's brilliant, really powerful at how they play out in our lives. I'd say those are two great archetypal books to read. Um, yeah, um, one of the ones that I read fairly recently in the last couple of years that I found um just incredible was Sharon Blackie's If Women Rose Rooted. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a, a fantastic book. Um, and it's rooted for, in Ireland and Scotland. Um, and, it, it, you know, to do with the deep connection with land and deep connection mm. with our, our feminine, um, I, I just highly recommend reading that. Mm. What was it called again? If Women Rose Rooted. Sharon Blackie. Yeah, I'll definitely put that down. I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of kind of aspects of the the podcast where we're we're already. I and I literally just put the podcast out and and like in the first hour we got a hundred downloads, which was brilliant. And a lot of the downloads, like, because a lot of people got back to me, and there's a lot of men listening to the podcast, which I love. And they are like, oh, we'd have to check out that book. We'd have to check out that book. And I just think it's brilliant because. I think if we're to change uh, and move forward and create a, a more safer and understanding uh, society and, and to reconstruct this ridiculous construct that we're currently in, uh, it needs to be done with equality in mind and, yeah. and respect towards each other. And mm. I just love that there's just so much of a, of a, of a kind of a varied uh, listenership from, just from get go. Mm. And it's, it's wonderful. And some of our biggest allies in in, in, the, in the, all the gender studies that we have done this year and, and uh, in press has been the Irish Times and, you know, mm-hmm. um, Brian, uh, one of the editors in there, he's just been wonderful. And, and there's so many incredible men that want to elevate the voice of mm. women. So it's just great. And these books, you know, there's, there's a good few uh, that are kind of already, oh yeah, we're going to get that, we're going to get that. And this mm. is brilliant, you know, so thanks so much for sharing. Could, could I offer one for the men actually? Yeah, of course. <clears throat> so there's a really good archetypal book for men um, which is looking, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> at rediscovering the mature um, masculine. And it's called King, Warrior, Magician and Lover by Robert Moore and Douglas Gillett, I think. Um, that's a very 
useful book that I've translated into the feminine as well. (laughs) Not publicly, but I've I've sort of reconfigured it. But yeah, that's a very Mm. useful book to look at. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much uh, for taking the time today to speak um, on the podcast and to share your journey and your stories and what you have both learned. Uh, Just if anyone listening wants to um, source uh, both of you out and to find out more about you, what platforms can they do this on? So the um, people can find uh, the Babog project, which is www.thebabogproject.com as our website, and we've got a very active Facebook page um, on which I'm sharing all of the the dolls that have been sent into the project, but also many of the stories and poems and and thoughts that women have sent in along with the the dolls that they've made. So that's the Babog project on Facebook and on uh, our website. Fantastic. Mm, beautiful. And um, you can catch everything about me in my website, which is www.lewis, which is L-E-W-I-S. That is my first name. Barfoot.com. Fantastic. And also go to Spotify because Lewis is a wonderful, uh, incredible singer. And um, she's an album coming out next year as well, which I'm looking forward to everybody listening to. Um, look, thanks so much again, ladies. And uh, no doubt we'll, we'll probably chat along the way again. Thank you.